0: Beer's just whiskey's younger brother, you know, beer just wants to become whiskey, but we just, you know, there's a lot of folk out there who just like the beer. As you're right when you say we just take it to the extra stage and
1: distill it.
2: Welcome to the Fermenting Place podcast, possibly the first no-age statement podcast concerning the co-ferment of people and place. Here we take deep dives via casual conversation into the infinitely fascinating world of fermentative beverages such as wine, whiskey, and other drinks. I'm your host, Daniel Honan. My guest, or rather guests, for episode 21 of the Fermenting Place podcast is Mark, Charlie, and Innes of Wolfburn Whiskey Distillery from Thurso, Scotland. Despite the odd bit of audio issue, volume mostly, and it being the first time Charlie and Innes have ever given an interview ever, the four of us had a great rip talking about the place of whiskey, how, why, and where it fits upon the fermentative landscape of this, our most wonderful of worlds. I'm a lover of whiskey, but a bit of a beginner when it comes to understanding its nuances and so on, which you'll no doubt hear as you listen in. It's certainly a longer rip than episode 20 with Maynard James Keenan. Thankfully, no snowstorms to speak of this time. In episode 21 of the Fermenting Place podcast, Mark, Charlie, Innes, and I discuss eau de V, Distilling Place, the Lost History of Wolfburn, making whiskey by hand, by sight, by touch, by smell, maturation times, casks, barrels, warehouses, craft whiskey, tasting notes and much more so without any more digressive excursive please listen like share subscribe and enjoy episode 21 of the fermenting place podcast featuring mark charlie and Innes of wolfburn whiskey distillery scotland Here, speaking with Mark, Charlie, and Innes from Wolfburn Distillery in Scotland, actually the northernmost town of Scotland in uh, Thurso. Is that correct, boys? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, So, if you guys want to identify yourselves so that our listeners can know who's speaking uh, when.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm Charlie. uh, And I've been, I've been. Working here at Wilfer for nearly five years now. Uh, I started when I left high school uh, at 16, uh, and I've been here ever since. Uh, as kind of when I was growing up, I was always brought up around distilleries, uh, as my dad worked in uh, several distilleries, and um, so I always I was always brought up around whiskey. and it always kind of interested me uh, in getting a job in whiskey and I was just lucky enough to get one.
2: That's very cool. Hi, I'm Ennis.
1: I've been working at Wolfburn for five years as well. I started back when I left the school in 2016. And when I got the opportunity to work here, it was a no-brainer.
0: I'm Mark Westmoreland. I'm the Global Brand Ambassador for Wolfburn. I got uh, asked in 2016 if I wanted to help out. Uh, we're doing some shows
2: and festivals and the rest is history.
0: Here
2: I am. Mark, your work takes you, well, took you around the world up until probably 2020, but you, you were travelling quite a bit um, doing tastings and stalls and festivals and things like that right around the world as the global brand ambassador. That's correct?
0: Yeah, this time last year, I actually um, i got back into Scotland from Sort of four weeks away, I did Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Australia, and ended up at Dramfest in Christchurch in New Zealand. So I just got back to Scotland by the skin of my teeth, and then everything went on a lockdown. But for the last year, I've just been zooming across the world doing tastings and interviews like this, Stan. So as I said earlier on, it's a great opportunity for us to adapt and survive and to get our name out there to the consumer and just spread the love.
2: Yeah, that's right. Charlie, I'm, I'm interested to know how one gets a job in a distillery at 16 years old.
3: Uh, well, my, my dad was actually a distillery manager. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. and he he left in 2019, uh, so that's basically how I got the job. I was working here before, just doing it a, a few hours uh, on a Wednesday, during the week when I was still in high school, uh, but I got to know uh, Andrew Thompson quite well and Harry, and uh, they they were kind enough to offer me a job as an apprentice. So no, it's been it's been really good.
2: Yeah, wow. Well, and Ennis yourself as well. Are you, are you two mates? Did you go to school together? Uh,
1: yeah, we're actually best
2: mates. <laughs> <laughs> best mates. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Well, have one what was that, Mark?
0: You can't have one without the other, Dan. You know, they're,
2: they're, they're <laughs> like a pair. Do you have a pendant or something around your neck to signify <laughs> that? Matching cartoons. <laughs> nice one. Nice. Nice. Well, like I was saying in the, I guess, off air, um, my knowledge of whiskey is pretty limited relative to my knowledge of of say wine and beer um but i certainly enjoy exploring it and uh, a couple of years ago got the opportunity to taste through a bunch of different whiskies from all over scotland and japan and compare it to bourbon uh whiskey with an e and um and you know my old man enjoys a dram as well and it's just something that's always fascinated me. But to be honest with you, there's that many rabbit holes I'm currently falling down, and following all of its various tributaries that I just you know we've only got so much time in the day. So I uh, I want to kind of use this opportunity to explore the concept or the the, the product of whiskey with you all, uh, and then hone in on on Wolfburn as as producers um, of I think one of the 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 most remarkable whiskeys I have tasted uh, in a long, long while. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, Dan, uh, from a uh, thing called the, the Funky Drop here in, in Newcastle in Australia, he put me onto the Aurora uh, mm-hmm. bottle about six to eight months ago, I suppose. And uh, you know what's interesting about that, that, that bottle for me when I tasted it in the store was that it was fresh and floral and all of these sorts of – it had a refreshing characteristic to it. Um, But it had this element of sea spray. I don't know how I can describe it other than it it felt like standing on the shore. And when I figured that – when I found out that you guys are actually located basically right near the sea, it got me thinking – is there an element of the sea that is imparting itself in this spirit somehow? Um, and I guess selfishly, I wanted to get you guys on to just ask that question.
3: Yeah, well, yeah I'll take that. Yeah, go on,
0: Matt. <laughs> um, you know, because Thurza is the most northerly town on the, you know, the mainland of the UK, it's also a special place because it's um birthplace of mine and, A couple of folk are at the distillery as well. Um, We store our casks and our barrels in traditional dunnage warehouses on site. And Caithness, the county where Thurza is, it's flat. And, uh, you know, the sea air howls across the land. And we're, you know, we're not that far away from the coast. So, you know, it's like terroir when you think of the wine. You know, you want the outside environment to affect your spirit, but not overpower it. Right. And we are surrounded right. by gorse and heather and, um, you know, that lovely sort of briny maritime expression note comes through. And I'm exactly the same, Dan. I I get that just a, a little hint of salt, just that little bit of, uh, you know, that, that lovely sort of cleansing palate sort of taste to it, especially with the Aurora, which is our sherry, oak, which is, a, you know, 46% and it's uh, a combination of bourbon and sherry casks but yeah where we mature our spirit on site you know that has that has to have something to do with the maturation that we do and we're super proud of that you know that's bottling on site as well so we're 100 percent in charge of the process apart from our malt and barley which we import in but everything else is done on site so it means that we keep our standards high nobody else has a hand in and as I say, hand bottling. So all the bottles that you've got in front of you there, Dan, are all hand bottled by ourselves in the bottling hall on site. So myself, Charlie, or Innis fingerprints might be all over them. You know, get a crime scene crime scene DNA.
2: A nice little bit of provenance. That's 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 so good. Well, <laughs> you, you mentioned the word terroir, which usually is, um, unfortunately, exclusively associated with mm-hmm. wine. I think that it's not exclusive to wine, but that was kind of, yeah, what I was getting at was that there there seemed to be a sense of place, I guess, coming across in this, in this, um, spirit of Aurora that I was tasting Uh, and that brininess that you mentioned. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, do you, do you, do you see place manifesting itself in, in, in spirits like whiskey? Can it do so?
0: I think, yeah, I think it does because, you know, we're a product of our environment, you know, if, if it's a very hot climate, you know, that'll uh, mature the, the spirit that wee bit faster. If it's a very, you know, if it's dank and dusty or dry, you know, it has to have that effect on the, the maturation. Um, and, you know, making whiskey is probably the same across the world. You know, you get good barley, good water, good yeast, good process as well. And it's like a wheel, you know, the wheel will run everywhere. You know, you take a wheel anywhere in the world, it'll run. But when you're doing different types of whiskey it's like a wheel but you're just changing like the spokes or you're changing the tire or you're changing the the hub and you want to put your own stamp on it you want to put your own uniqueness you know it's our dna it's our essence at wolfburn you know it's, it's what we do how we do it and to be honest with you if we get it right we're not really bothered about anybody else we just want to make the best spirit possible
2: what about you guys, Charlie Ennis Do you think that there's a? Do you think that Thirzel, um, shines, through, shines through in 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 these spirits in in whiskey in general?
3: Yeah, yeah well, when so like when your casts are the maturing, uh, they breathe. So in the winter they close up, and then in the summer they open back up again, and the wind, wood wood kind of expands a wee bit. So that's how you're getting like the, the, the sea. The salt and the aurora because the casks are open and they close closing, and they're putting
2: flavor into the spirit. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It reminds me of um, a book called Proof. Um,
0: like, it's like the angel's share, Dan. You know, as, as everybody yeah. talks about the evaporation of the whiskey, maybe one or two percent a year in the cask. And as the as the whiskey evaporates, it allows that outside environment and that outside um, ability to, to help flavor our spirit to come in. So it's a, a two-way thing with that porous nature of the wood that Charlie was talking about there.
2: Yeah, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, there's a, there's a book by Adam Rogers um, called Proof, and I had him on the podcast, uh, I think on episode eight, maybe, from memory. Uh, and he was talking about a particular distillery I think they were up in Canada um, sort of being sort of bourbon whiskey uh, and it had this um, there was a sort of mold or fungus growing about the town um, at around about a 250 300 meter radius of the of the distillery and they couldn't yeah. figure out where it was coming from um, and then they obviously eventually figured out that it was mani- it was it was coming from the the distillery itself. Um, and it was interesting that there was that interaction between the environment and the production of this product. Um, and Quite common for as well. Right. Yeah. I know where the distillery
0: is in Thurzo uh, across the road is the battery factory and that's got like white um, walls and you can see the sort of the black speckling from I don't think we'll
3: admit that right enough, but no, it definitely see it. No, I think it would take a few months to get all the
2: black algae off of that building. Black algae, that's what it was, yeah. So let's go back then. Give us a a, a brief history of Wolfburn. Um, It's a relatively new distillery in Scotland in a place that is incredibly old and renowned for its Scotch.
0: Yeah, so I guys and you can you can you can as distillers you can stick to the the produce and and how we do it because that's I'm like front of house Dan these guys Charlie and Ennis both distillers in their own right they're the perfectionists they're the ones that are on spirit they're the ones that are doing the mash the fermentation you know they're the they're the masters I'm just the I'm just the performing one at the front so it's you know it's it, it's a good opportunity for me to showcase Thursle and. Showcase the old distillery, because we're in 2021 now. So the first Wolfburn distillery was 200 years ago, 20 uh, 2021 now, and it opened in
1: 1821.
0: Hmm. And it lasted maybe on and off for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. We can't really pinpoint it down for certain, but we do have some tax records from the 1820s to say that it was... Wolfburn was the largest producer of spirit in the county of Cape Ness, and it was producing about 125,000 litres a year, which is incredible for that time. Um, the name Wolfburn comes from the water source. So the Wolfburn, the Wolf Stream, or the Wolf Spring, It's a natural spring that rises in the moors, and it trickles down um, right at the back of the distillery, where the new distillery is. But the old distillery was about 300 yards uh, up on the moor. And you can still see some of the sort of Keithness flagstones, the the, the original um, building stones of the distillery. And in two thousand and twelve, the bosses applied for planning permission. The new distillery was built within four or five months by Forsyth's of Rothas, the famous stillmakers. Um, and that's you know that's when the new distillery was built, but it's a modern and efficient distillery but we're trying to do everything the traditional way if that makes sense we're not trying to use one computer to control everything and mm-hmm. um, everything's done by sight by sound by touch by smell the guys are are all over the every part of the process as well and even at the modern efficient day we're doing maybe six or eight matches a week so our production last year was just over a hundred thousand liters and that was because of some sort of COVID shutdowns. But, you know, 115 to 120,000 litres, that's what we're producing a, a year. And mm-hmm. the likes of like Diageo, the big whiskey factories, no disrespect to any of them, but they could do that in a day with all their distilleries. But for us, it's not about the, the quantity of product, it's about the quality of product. Um, and we're just taking it nice and easy. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a wee whistle-stop tour of the old and now new um, So the good thing is, if you go into YouTube as well, you can see the build of Wolfburn, you can type it in and there's like a time-lapse footage of the build. There's also a virtual tour and some drone footage as well, which is very interesting for people if they want to sort of do the deep dive as well.
2: Yeah, I had a look actually at at that yesterday afternoon um, in a mad rush. I've I've been moving house for the last two days and uh, it's been pissing down rain the entire time and um it's been exhausting to say the least but yesterday afternoon i found some time to jump onto youtube and thought i, I wonder if there's anything in terms of uh, footage of Wolfburn. and uh yeah. sure enough someone out there has uh, has filmed this drone and um footage and, and also the, the the virtual tour and i was like ah oh, cool and what struck me though was because this whiskey was so delicious. And like I said, I don't have a hell of a lot of knowledge in terms of, uh, I know that it's, it's got to be aged for a minimum of three years. Um, but you can release it sort of, you know, after that, um, like much later after that, uh, what is it they're called age stamped or something like that? Uh, where you, that's age where you statement, get your, yeah. age statement, right? You get 12, 15, 18 years, um and that's something I do want to touch on actually a little bit later on in the in the conversation is the concept of time and how it applies but anyway, i was taken aback by the the newness i guess of the facility and and thought how can something so and this is showing my um predilection for for being a luddite probably as uh how can something so so elegant and Uh, intrinsically delicious come from such a new facility (laughs) I have this image in my head of like these stone walls and this old beaten up copper swan neck still and that sort of thing and kind of kind of was the case you do have the swan necks but it's it's in basically a, a shed a brand new shed
0: yeah, it's sometimes been described as one of the ugliest distilleries in Scotland, but it's I don't care what it looks like. It's you know, it's like when I'm doing Zoom calls or I'm doing tastings, I don't care what people look like on the outside, it's what's inside that counts. And you come through the doors at Wolfburn, you know, everything's laid out in a very simple chronological order. You know, where the, the malted barley comes, where the, the mill is that we, we you know, we, we mill the, the barley, where the the mash tun, where the fermentation, where the stills are, and it's just you know you, you can stand there and you can look left and right and everything is there. You know everything is on your on your plate on your doorstep. And we don't you know we we didn't go down the the big route of having a big fancy visitor center and a big huge uh, shop either. You know we we concentrated producing the spirit first, and then everything else is an addition to that because we're a whiskey distillery. You know, we didn't even do gin. We didn't do vodka because we wanted Wolfburn to be synonymous with a quality single malt, which it is. So when somebody mentions the name Wolfburn, they can only think of whiskey, because that's the only thing that that we we've ever done, and that's the only thing we ever will do.
2: Fair play, fair play. That drone footage, by the way, is pretty awesome. Uh, it it flies up from the from the distillery, and then it gives you a three hundred and sixty degree view of the landscape. In, uh, in Thurzo, and it's a, f- a sunny day's rare up there. I'm not sure. It's a sunny day in the footage. Uh, very
0: rare. <laughs> you can have four seasons in one day, you know, and as I say, when it rains and, it, and the wind howls, because it's so flat, it cuts you in two, and the trees that grow in Thurzo, you know, they, 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 they grow at a 45-degree angle just about because the wind's that strong as it whips across the the county because the county of Caithness and that area is Europe's largest peat bog, you know. So we're trying to get world heritage status UNESCO and because of the flora and the fauna and the visit and the migratory birds as well, it's a beautiful place to to be and to drive up to. But it's not like it's half an hour from Edinburgh or half an hour from Glasgow. You have to actually make the effort to come and see us. You know, it's maybe a five or six hour drive, but it's well worth it. And even with the North Coast 500, which is Scotland's Route 66, there's you know there's eight or nine uh, lovely distilleries on the way up, um, including ourselves. And you you can go 500 miles from Inverness, whether it's clockwise or anti-clockwise. Um, and here's hope, and that comes back and brings a wee bit more tourism to the area, and brings brings some more investment to the area as well, which is very very important for the the community and the the heritage of. A distillery being able to employ people you know that's uh it's very very important for us as well
2: no no doubt can you describe the the, the place for me in terms of your your, your each each your own um, perspective uh, i know that you grew up there mark you were saying before but yeah um, the, the, it looks gorgeous i mean there's this blue sea to the to the north i suppose Everything's yeah. green, of course, farmland all around. Um, just, uh, yeah, yeah, describe the place for me.
1: It's,
0: um, you know, lucky enough to grow up there. I, I moved away when I was 18 and a half to join the, the local, or sorry, the, the central police. Um, so my mum still stays up there. And obviously I'm back there at the distillery when we, we can we can do that. But the, the area, you know, we... At the back of the distillery, you look over at Dunnett Head, which is the most northerly point on the British mainland. That's off to the right, and then you look out over the Pentland Firth towards Orkney, where you know the likes of Highland Park and Scapa have their distilleries. Um, there's a, you know, there's a beautiful um, port, Scrabster, and that takes the, the the ferry to to Orkney, and we've got a beautiful sort of beach. The, the sea and we've got a beautiful river a very excellent salmon river as well so growing up as kids where we were um quite a child safe environment however there was so much nonsense to get up to and so many different areas to go down and play whether it was the beach whether it was the up at the salmon pool or at the river or at the boat and pond or you know um it's it's those halcyon days that i can remember and even where the distillery is I used to go and sort of pick mushrooms with my father along that, you know, along that road. And up at the moors, you used to try and catch the sticklebacks or the newts or tadpoles or the frogs that were in and out of the Wolfburn as well. So it's, there has an iconic feeling for me being part of this as well. So it's, you know, if I can't be passionate about Wolfburn, nobody can, I'll tell you.
2: (laughs) Did you boys grow up there as well? Or did you grow up, uh, did you move there recently?
3: Yeah, I grew up here, yeah. I moved here about uh, eight, nine years ago.
2: And do you both live in Thurzo or thereabouts? Yeah,
1: Uh,
3: thereabouts, yeah. I live literally
2: like a five-minute walk from the (laughs) stairs. Half your luck, nice. And what is it like then? And describe the landscape. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how the, the environment, how the landscape is imposing itself on this distillery. When you taste different um, scotch from around Scotland, there is uh, a distinct um, difference in each of the major producing areas. You know, um, particularly I, th- I think from memory, and as I said, total novice here, but I think from memory, the, the ones from uh, Isla are, uh, the, your whiskeys actually reminded me of the ones from Isla. Um oh,
0: yeah.
2: oh. Where they, they're kind of that briny sea spray. Um,
0: it's, you know, the, the Isla malts, you know, they're notorious for their their heavy peatiness as well. They the, sort of, the not so much like a recycled hospital, but quite iodine-y in the, in the sort of make cup as well. The good thing about Our, because it's a coastal town, you know, you're right with that sort of maritime influence and even Old Pultney, you know, Old Pulteney distillery is only 21 miles away from us and that sits on the the sort of the the east coast of the, the county and I grew up drinking Old Pulteney, I must admit. If I was anywhere else in the world, I would always try and get an Old Pultney because that was the only whiskey distillery in my county and I was, it's one of these things, you're super proud of your your roots, you're super proud of your, you know, where you were born and brought up. And you want to you want to showcase that to people if you can. Um, but yeah, you're right, you're, you're right with the sort of with the landscape um having that effect on our spirit. Um, you'll probably find that through a lot of our expressions, depending on the cask and barrel maturation. It can be a wee bit more evident in the likes of um, maybe the Northland as well. For me, that's a personal uh, preference, and the the Morven, which is our lightly peated, um, the the sort of the, that that sort of lovely sort of sea salt brininess, I I think comes through especially on those two expressions. I don't know if the guys, I don't know if Charlie Aranas or that will agree. What do you think, boys? Yeah, yeah, I agree
2: as well. Yeah. Well, so how do you, how do you, you guys are the distillers? So how does this how does this come about then?
3: It's, it's quite, it's quite hard to explain. Uh, Mark, Mark would probably be better off explaining that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: a handball right there. Uh, wait, wait.
0: No, I, I, again, it's the, it's the way that the, the, the spirit is, is made. Um, you know, whether it's the, the, the type of barley, the, you know, the, the mash the, the fermentation we've got quite a long fermentation time as well um sort of between 67 and sort of 92 hours depending on what day it goes on and that makes it really quite fruity and quite floral and we don't fill our stills to capacity you know our wash still and our spirit still there's a lot of copper contact there so that provides our spirit with a light vibrancy you know it's there isn't anything heavy or or dull about our spirit i i describe it you know for four Adjectives, it's fruity, it's floral, it's light, and it's vibrant. And you'll never get anything from Wolfburn that's like maybe some of the you know the big hitters, you know, you'll get like a really sort of hot pokery type feeling down the throat as it as it rips your throat, as it burns your gullet on the way down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ours, I describe it as like a rolling tear down the cheek. Nice and simple, a very, very slow descent. Ultimately, we want the a, you know, we want to put a fire in your belly, but we want to put a smile on your face when we're doing it as well.
3: I think as well, like you said, everyone's done here, like slowly. So you can, you can see in the end product that we really took care of way we're uh, mashing or distilling. Like our distillations on our stills, are six hours. Uh, so it's, it's going through the stills really slowly. So the spirits coming out really smooth and like even for our aurora and northland and morgan for only being four or five years old it's it's really smooth for the ages
2: yeah i concur so the raw materials that are required for producing these whiskies obviously water is is incredibly important um and the grain and the yeast. So, can you just can we can we just pull apart some of those threads a little bit in terms of how they, uh, as separate, um, as separate inputs, um, come together to create this uh, this product. Uh, so
3: basically, we, we get we get a load of uh, malted barley every month. Uh, it's about twenty eight tons. And we've got two big uh, malt, molten bins right beside the mash tun uh, so basically it comes it comes in and it goes into a feeder and then into a bin on top of our uh, on top of the mash tun and basically it goes through the mill and it grinds it up uh, so you've got it's a percentage of 20 70 10 Uh, So 10 flour, 70 breast, and 20 And basically you try and keep that percentage the same all through the year. So you have a consistent... uh, The the barley's getting ground consistently so then it's going through the production line consistently all year. And then once it's all ground up, it gets put through the... Into the mash tun, it gets mixed with water. Uh, so what happens is it comes it comes down off the feeder and the water is coming through the bottom uh, of the mash tun and it's just getting fed into the mash tun. Uh, and then we, we start pumping it into our washback uh, at 36 degrees. Uh, so we use dried yeast, and the reason we put it in at 36 degrees is that's the temperature that it activates the yeast at. So when we've when we've added the yeast we then take the temperature down uh, to about 19 degrees uh, and that's kind of the temperature that we keep at all year uh, it might go down a wee bit in the summer because it's slightly hotter uh, but you always want to kind of keep keep the washbacks under 25 26 degrees uh, otherwise your fermenting process just uh, kind of goes out the window
2: so with the washbacks Charlie, Innes, I, uh, um, to understand that that's kind of where the fermentation process happens. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, and so can you explain a little bit about what role fermentation plays in whiskey production? Well, basically,
3: basically the, the, the warts, warts is what the water, the, when we mix the barley with the water it comes out as warts and it's basically just sugary water Uh, so when we pump it into the wash bag and add yeast after after about 24 hours that's when it reaches its maximum fermentation and basically what all yeast is doing it's eating up all the sugar and when it dies it releases alcohol Uh, but also the yeast the yeast uh, breeds as well so when, when it's breeding, it can breed with other yeast cells and it'll create more alcohol. So the more, the more that the yeast breeds and die off, the more alcohol you get out of it. So on a, on a Monday and Tuesday, uh, our washpacks are fermenting for six to seven hours. So it's a shorter fermentation. And then on a the Thursday and Friday, it's uh, fermenting for 42 hours.
2: Is that the is that still the same primary ferment of converting sugars into alcohol, or is that a different fermentation, that longer one?
3: No, it's it's exactly the same. It's just it's just sitting for longer, and it, it doesn't really change uh, the,
2: the taste and the spirit at all. So, do you turn the temperature down or something to sort of let the yeast go a little bit slower, or how does that work? Yeah, well, we usually.
3: It's, it's all controlled uh, through a warts cooler. Uh, so basically what it does is the warts is coming through at about 65 degrees uh, before we start cooling it down. Uh, so basically we take water from the burn and put it through this. It's basically a heat exchanger uh, and it's just plates. So cold water goes down one side and up another and the hot warts goes... Up and down the other side of it, and it basically just cools the worts down. Uh, so we found the temperatures that we need to set the washbacks at. Uh, so it's always it's always the same. Uh, and some as as I said before, in summer we do have to put the temperatures lower uh, because when yeast starts when the yeast starts working, the yeast cr- creates a lot of heat. Uh, so it does heat up the washback
1: quite a bit. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Does that length of fermentation have a, a have a final effect? Is that is it contribute anything, or does it would it matter if it was shorter or long or even longer?
3: Uh, well, when you're when you've got a longer fermentation, your set temperatures are always lower because it's in in the washback for longer. Uh, so it's always kind of Averaging out the same. Uh, so if, like, say we were uh, doing a mash on, uh, say, Thursday, we'd set it at a lower temperature than we did on Monday or Tuesday because it's sitting over the weekend and it's got more time
1: uh, to heat up, to heat up the washback than we were. Do you
2: do you see that in is as? Um contributing any kind of flavour though or any kind of aromatic profile to, to the final spirit? Uh,
1: well the longer you leave it better, really well we, we usually aim for the same if you know what I mean
0: Makes it a wee bit more fruity yeah. and sort of, the longer the fermentation cycle as well
1: um,
2: a little but, gentler, perhaps. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, and again, it's not like, <clears throat> you know, there there might be a minimum time that, that people think, let's put it in the washback temperature or it's hit a certain hours in the fermentation tanks, get it to the next process. It's not like that. So, you know, we're probably, you know, leaving it longer in the washbacks fermenting. You know, we're... Um, We're prolonging the process and it's probably costing us more than it would if we just did a a short fermentation in the washbacks and got it to the next stage, like the the wash still um, and then onto the spirit still. So again, it's it's using that process to our advantage and just doing it the way that we we feel it should be done, without haste, no rush, to get the best taste and flavour.
2: So you allow for quite a lot of time then to um to produce these these spirits. And and that's the thing about whiskey, really, is that it takes such a long time. You really need to allow for time. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. And you can't even experiment quickly with whisky. whiskey. You've know, as you said earlier on, three at least three years in in uh, oak casks in Scotland for it to be called Scotch, but you know if you want to experiment you've got a long wait to see if it works or not.
3: I think I think having the right casks uh when you're putting your spirit into it as well. Uh so we, we get a cast from either Cooperage uh, down down Spayside and they've been our supplier cast from the very start and the quality cast that we get from from them that makes a spirit as well. So it's up, a lot to do about slow
2: like the slow process but it I've got a lot to do with the casks as well. Yeah. The the smaller the cask the, the the more it has an influence on the on the spirit right the faster it enacts itself upon the spirit whereas the larger the cask the slower it takes is that right? Yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. the spirit's got a lot more surface area contact to the, the oak of it in a smaller cask and for us as well you know the Northland and the, the more of them, we use quarter casks, you know, so they're just about 120 litres in size. So you're right with the maturation being that wee bit more intense and being a wee bit more faster as well. And because these, are, these were our first couple of our expressions in 2016 and 17, it allowed us to, to put a spirit which was relatively young to market, but it had the complexity of taste and flavour for maybe something that was maybe 8 to 12 years old. People were saying in blind tastings as well, so that's just a vindication of the, the quality of the spirit and the good management policy that we have. at Wolfburn.
2: Is there a debate as to uh, what's better, larger casks, smaller casks, in terms of ultimate quality? Is there? Um, is there are there sort of um, super tier nerds uh, about whiskey that that would argue that you know, having a larger cask, you get that less of a of a I would just imagine if you're trying to speed up that process, that you're going to get um, perhaps an element of artifice, maybe.
0: Yeah, you know, whiskey is very subjective as well. You know, it depends on your own experience and your own taste and flavor, your your profile, your palate. You know what you can, what you enjoy, and what you don't enjoy. But you know, a larger cask is going to take longer to mature. And the great thing about Wolfburn, because we've got traditional dunnage warehouses, you walk into the warehouses and in front of you, they're stacked three high. So again, it allows the outside environment to to circle the casks at all times. And when you look at the casks and barrels that we have in the warehouses, they're all shapes and sizes. So we've got some octaves, some quarters, some hogsheads, some butts, and we've got a range from rum casks, pork pipes, uh, sherry butts, sherry hoggies, uh, the, the ex Isla quarter casks as well. Um, and, and again, as Charlie says, from our Cooperage, uh, Isla Cooperage, they know what we're looking for and they'll buy the best casks possible because the, the wood influence, you know, a lot of people might say it's like 60 or 70% of the, the influence in a whiskey. But what we want to do with our wood management policy, we want to, we want to proclaim our spirit. We don't want that that oak to over overwhelm our spirit. So you know, it's like a footballer when you score a goal, and these guys, you know, they're even football uh, mates. They're, they play on the same team in Thursday as well. So if you can imagine one of them scoring a goal in the cup final, and at the end of the the game, the the whole team puts them on the shoulders and they and they proclaim it right round the ground, saying you're the best you've scored the goal. And that's what we want to do with our, our spirit. You know, we want the wood to do that, to help proclaim our spirit and to, to raise it and uh, make sure that that, again, that DNA and that essence of Wolfburn will run through our expressions because the accolade is 10, 15 years from now, if somebody picks up a glass of whiskey, smells it, tastes it. And they say that's a Wolfburn, you know, that's the accolade that, all distilleries will strive for and so hopefully you know that's the that's the
2: plan anyway Dan nice so with the uh with the casks boys you've got a, a range of different casks they're all sourced from different um different places and they've had different um liquids in them can you explain to me what uh what the cask actually contributes to this to the whiskey but also Um, how the differences in them, depending on what they've had beforehand and how that all kind of works.
1: So our quarters, they get off-peak because their eggs, the broadcast. And then our barrels are bourbon. Um, Bourbon as well. Um, Sherry, Hogshead. And sherry, and we have
2: sherry butts as well. And what are, what is each one of those um, different uh, spirits that's been in them pre- previously? What what are they contributing overall to the flavor components of the whiskey, aromatically as well? So The quarters are
1: giving off a peaty sort of taste. Barrels they give off a sweet taste.
3: And our Sherry, I would say, they're pretty. Hopefully it is. Well, I, I see it yeah. in my, the Sherry class. I get some talk that often as yeah.
2: well. you getting that Pete character from from real Pete as well?
1: Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. in our Northland, it's just... It's the Pete that was in it before. But well, with our Morbid, we use
2: and put it into, yeah, as well. And there's, so there's peat put bogs put around Thurzo, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> and are you able to utilise those?
3: Well, yeah. the, 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 it's, we don't actually add peat. So when, when it's going through the malting process, uh, when the bo- barley's getting malted, it's actually burning up to when it's getting dried. Mm-hmm. But the smoke from the peat it's just going into the, the barley corns there. Uh, and that's how that's how it's getting into, it,
2: into it the Right, it's kind of infusing.
1: Yeah.
2: Right, right. And so, yeah, we're kind of a bit all over the shop here, but I I was down at Lark Distillery a few years ago in Tasmania watching all of that process unfold, and I, they had the, the, the peat bog, uh, well, bits of it i guess burning in it sort of like a kiln or something yeah um, and then it was yeah it was it was sort of the the smoke would infuse in it in the grain
0: yeah yeah we've like our, our maltings as well we you know we sometimes use um burt malt in space just in bucky and we've been using um mountains as well um they they've got a a sort of multi-million pound peated facility just in Yorkshire at the moment and they do say that they buy a, a lot of Scottish peat to use in their peated facility as well so you know again it's you know it's maybe not known where everything comes from but we know enough about the the ingredients we know how it's going to be able to um, flavor our Spirit. Even the the peated barley that we use, you know, it's 10 phenol parts per million. So it's very, very light. But again, because we're using ex Isla uh, casks, these ex Lafroy casks, it's given it just that wee bit more depth and a wee bit more resonance as well. It's given it a wee bit more complexity rather than just the peated spirit. You're getting the the peated effect of the maturation in the wood as well.
2: So I guess I, I just had this thought unlike wine, where you grow grapes in a particular location, and then you take them to the winery and you ferment them. And there is that kind of geographical liquidation that occurs. Whereas you're similar to brewing beer, I suppose, where you take in a bunch of imports from various places and then you you build to like a recipe, I guess, to to brew this particular beer. And then you're taking it to that extra step where you're distilling that liquid, right, into the spirit. Um, So you're kind of – it's like an extra level of of creation and you can reverse engineer perhaps the kinds of aromatics and flavours that you're looking for in the various spirits that you release. And some of that has to do with obviously the grain – some of it has to do with the, um, the fermentation, some of it has to do with um, the casks that you're using and of course the time is that is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dan. Um, you know as Anna said about the you know using bourbon casks, you know you'll get a lot of sort of vanilla and you you get a lot of sort of sort of caramel um, honey sweet tones from that the the also casks that we use, the sherry. It's a very sort of fruity, spicy, uh, peppery taste. I get that. And that's that's my own palate. But again, maybe some of the Pedro Jimenez sherry cask give it a, a luxurious sweetness, like um, really sort of crystalline fruit, like figs and walnuts and dates and stuff. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, beer's just, Whiskey's younger brother, you know, beer just wants to become whiskey, but we just, you know, there's a lot of folk out there that just like the beer. As you're right, what you said, we just take it to the extra stage and distill it, and then uh, fill it the casks, and then sit back and wait. You know, it's it's a patient, patient business making whiskey.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a there's a few beers that I can think off the top of my head that I've tasted in my life uh, that stopped me in my tracks and thought had me thinking wow what is this and there's a number of wines that have done that and there's quite a few whiskies that have done that I'd say that there's more whiskies that have stopped me in my tracks and there's been beers stopped me in my tracks so what is it about that distillation process that do you think it comes down to that is it the distillation process that Enchants so many people um, to to the point where they just they just want to go down this whiskey rabbit hole and and find out as much as they possibly can and taste this and taste that similar to what people do when it comes to wine.
0: You know the stills in a whiskey distillery. You know that's the iconic picture. You know the that's what it, you know anybody that comes to Scotland they want to see these big copper beasts of stills. You know and they want to get their picture taken alongside them because that's that's the iconic um memory that they want to take back from Scotland you know they're, they're at the distillery but i, I did a, a talk in new zealand last year and i got asked what what is the one part of the process that makes your spirit unique and in front of the audience i was scratching my head i was thinking is it the is it the mash is that the most important the strike rate the converting the, the sugars, is it in the fermentation, is it the distillation, is it the wood management? And I actually told the guy, I says I can't come up with one single answer. And he said, that's the right answer. He says, there isn't just one thing that makes um, a spirit unique. You know, there has to be that, that combination of the whole process as well. And it's like, once you get the process right, it's about consistency. It's about doing the same time and time again. Not deviating from the plan because as soon as you deviate, you know, you'll add or you'll subtract taste and flavor from your initial spirit, you know, your cleric, your white, your white dog, your your um your your essence, again, your DNA that, that goes into the, the casks to make your whiskey. Um, I don't even know if I've asked your answer to your question there, Dan. I think I went off on a wee tangent. <laughs>
2: that was <laughs> a apologize. good It was a good tangent. Do you Charlie and Ennis, do you um, consistency? I guess is the key. Um, but are you able to how how free are you to experiment in the in the cellar or in the in the distillery rather? But also, yeah. I, I'm just. I guess I'm trying to understand how much of an impact the environment has on these on these spirits on these whiskeys compared to how much of an impact. Uh, you two have as 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 individual um, distillers that that have your own concepts of how things ought to be. I,
3: I think, we think we don't really ever experiment. Uh, the only thing we change is the malt. So we are doing just now uh, we're doing heated malt. Uh, we're doing three months of that, and then we're going back on to normal malt barley. But so that's that's the only things that's the only things we change. Consistency is key uh, if, you, if you start changing things and uh, doing things different and that
2: change changes spirit. Just now we don't, we don't really need to change it. Right. So people sometimes um, exalt vintage variation in wine, but you don't want to have your whiskey tasting too different to the last time you bought that bottle. Like I guess a lot of whiskey drinkers, they want um, – they want that consistency. They don't necessarily want to see the year um, that it was produced in the bottle, perhaps. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, yeah I would say that as well. And it's like, you know, the big companies using E150 caramel colouring as well. Like, we don't chill filter our whiskey. So we don't take any of the proteins, the fats, the esters, the congeners out of our whiskey. Everything is done the traditional way by leaving everything in there. And everything is natural colour. But you're right, when somebody walks into an off license and they, they go and pick up the bottle that they've always been drinking, they want that that colour, that consistency to be exactly the same because that's what it's they're used to. If it changed, they would think, oh, there must be something wrong with that bottle. And it's quite subliminal, like psych, you know, a bit of psychology as well that all the bottles will be the same colour. But for us, you know, you could look at some of our expressions. You could you could get maybe bottles of Aurora from 16, 17, 18 and have a look and you'll you'll see the distinct uh, subtle differences in our spirit. But it was interesting what you said earlier on about people coming to a brand. You want them to come and start tasting our core range and you want that consistency because there's, there's nothing worse than you starting to like a whiskey or a beer or a wine and then all of a sudden they change the, the ingredients or they change the process and you think, what, why have they done that? You know, I've just started liking it. I've, I, I just want to buy it. And then they go and change the process. So, yeah, again, it's about that consistency. Yeah, OK. But
3: a lot of them big distilleries as well, they're up in mass producing whiskey as well. Like a lot of people that used to love having, I don't know, say a Glen River or something like that, it's not as enjoyable. Anymore. It's getting pushed through the process so quickly,
2: that the spirit, the spirit is looking yeah, as it used to be. Right. It, it, it reminds me, I think I think where I'm trying to mentally place Wolfburn in my head is similar to sort of like the craft beer uh, thing that's happened or even, you know, something like natural wine is that you have these massive brands that everybody knows um, in the whiskey world and then there seems to be this craft distilling um, uh niche industry that's coming up you know with with guys like lark and um here in tasmania well here in australia down in tasmania there's Loreni and a bunch of others but um there there seems to be is there a craft movement i suppose within the whiskey world that's emerging where there's smaller producers like wolfburn that are um, starting to i guess maybe even go back to that that those heady days when when it was just um, so diverse and um, there were distilleries all around the, the country.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, I use the analogy, if you want something that everybody has in your room, a piece of furniture, you go to Ikea, you, you get the pack, you build it yourself. But if you want something that's been lovingly cared for, handcrafted, you go to somebody that's trained, you go to somebody with the knowledge, you go to somebody that's got traditional skills. And this is what we're trying to do at Wolfburn. You know, we're, as as Charlie says, we're we're not mass producing thousands and thousands and thousands of bottles per week or, or per month, like some of the other distilleries. And no disrespect to them, um, but we just want to take our time and make sure we're producing the best spirit. We're in thirty-six countries across the world already, and even last year, you know, because of the the pandemic, you know the likes of Diageo were saying they were down sales sort of 20%. Our, our sales last year actually went up about 18% because I think a lot of people were I'm, I'm not saying bored, but a lot of people may be sitting at home going, right, if I'm going to get a bottle of whiskey, I'm going to go for something quite unique, quite different. And you'll never see us in the supermarkets because we're not producing enough. And we wouldn't want to be there anyway. You know, you're, you're saying the funky drop and Dan, this is where you got your you know the the sort of bespoke bottle shop that he's got whether it's craft beer or handcrafted whiskey bespoke distilleries Mm. and it's it's nice to be part of that portfolio because it's not like the norm it's just something that wee bit different but it's just our own take on what we do and how we do it and everybody has to respect that it's a consumer's choice but you have to be part of the you have to be part of that Putting your bottles on the on the back shelf or in the bars to be uh, to be tasted because it's all about getting the liquid to the lips.
2: I've heard you say that before. The liquid to the lips. I like that one. You can take that one. <laughs> I use that a lot. <laughs> so, I was going to open up these, uh, have a have a pour of these these whiskies that I've got in front of me. Um, I don't know how interesting that is to actually listen to somebody um, taste whiskey uh, on a podcast, but um, I already mentioned the Aurora and just that briny sea spray element that it has, that it has to it. Um, I've got the, uh, the Northland uh, in a glass as well. And that's the one that's the, I think, or not as peaty as the Moven, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: that was, that was our first expression. The Northland came out in 2016 and that's a non-peated spirit. So the, the barley itself isn't infused with that sort of peat smoke. It's the non-peated version. But the only smoke that you're getting from the, the Northland is because of the maturation in those ex isla casks. Uh-huh. So again, that's the influence. That's the, it, it's like a, I describe it like a burnt match. It's a very, very light smoke. Yes. there's quite a lot of um orangey blossom. There's there's a lovely um there's a lovely sort of cereal note to that northland as well, in my opinion. And it's 46%, so there's a fair ABV there, but it's not overly aggressive either. And as a young spirit, you know, when that came out, it was three to four years old. But that's what put Wolfborn on the map. People were blown away by that first spirit because they were you mentioned it earlier as well, they were trying to fathom out how is this so good from such a new, a new distillery? You know, and that's, you know, that's testament to, you know, Ennis and Charlie and Ian and Max and Matthew who are doing the distillations and and, and previously Shane, um, the, the first distiller as well, because it's, you know, they decided to do it that way. They decided to mature it. And when Shane left and Ian Kerr stepped into the, the distillery manager's post. The great thing for us, that was a great piece of business continuity because there wasn't any change in flavour profile. There wasn't any change in the cask management either. Everything just remained the same. So um, that's testament to Wolfburn. Again, we'll go back to that consistency. But yeah, the Northland, the first, the first release put us on the map and put us under the microscope and put us on the want-to-watch lists as well. And now in 2021, we're eight years into production.
1: Mm.
0: So in a couple of years, you never know, we might have a limited 10-year release. And for for us, you know, that's so exciting to think. You've got an age statement, Whiskey, that you're, you're proud to put out, whether it's 10, and then we'll maybe look at a core range of maybe a 12-year-old if we can. But it's all about making sure we've got enough stock for the core range, and then we've put enough stock back for the, for the future as well, which is, you know, give me headaches thinking about
2: that. <laughs> yeah, I'm always constantly fascinated about time as an input, as a as a fundamental input to the best drinks that there are, and it do, does tend to get overlooked. Time as a as an input, um, but it's fundamental, certainly, to something like whiskey in order to get that to that. Um, I guess what's the coveted age range? 18 years, 25, something like that.
0: Yeah, 18 seems to have a you know a resonance with a lot of people, um, especially when I do shows and festivals. You know, they'll, a lot of people will ask, you know, have you an 18 year old? Have you have you anything of that expression? And although you know we're a young distillery, and they try and walk past the stand, you know that's an opportunity for me to reach out and grab them and say look don't don't turn your nose up at Wolfburn. you know stand here i usually put a a dram and pour them a glass and i just sit back and just watch their faces they suddenly realize wait a minute this hasn't got an age statement on it but it's absolutely stunning it's phenomenal whiskey and so again age statements it's an indication but it's not the be-all and end-all of um it's definitely going to be good it's definitely going to be bad depending on what age it is it's about it's about you know the consumer choice but yeah about 18, 15, 18, um you know some of the whiskies that you get are you know fifty sixty year old and there's a huge premium price on it but that's not because it's old it's just that it's been in a cask for fifty years so it's lo- it's lost maybe seventy percent of the spirit that will actually be in the barrel so you're paying for the the remaining um very little spirit that's left. That's what puts the premium. Scarcity on the right. hmm. but yeah, the ones that you have in front of you, Dan, the the, the Northland first or Aurora that you mentioned that you had six months ago, you know, the Sherry Oak. So that's about 75% first bourbon casks and twenty-five percent um or also sherry hogsheads. So that's got a nice you know, for me that's got a lovely sort of white pepper spice to it. Um it's it's quite fruity, it's got, you know, a lot of that sort of vanilla sort of caramel from the, the bourbon cast coming through, but then it's it's very very clean and it's very fresh. It sort of draws the cheeks in that uh, the aurora. It's refreshing. And it's after the aurora. Yeah. Named after the Aurora Borealis. The northern lights, not 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 the the southern lights that you guys see, but you know, from the Caithness coast, we'll see them. And we've had some great pictures over the last few weeks, actually, around the north of the Aurora. And, again, it's about naming our whiskeys that reflect where we are in the world. You know, um, we're proud of our heritage, our community, and our history. Hence, than, you know, the next. I'm, I'm probably giving you a, a wee rundown. I'm not expecting Do you it. to drink them as fast as I'm t- telling you. Well, look,
2: you. it was 8 o'clock when we started. I haven't had breakfast yet, but, um, I'm, I'm, look, Whatever.
0: But the Morven, you know, the Morven's named after the highest peak in Caithness. I told you that Caithness was flat; it's a peat ball, basically. And Morven rises just to over 700 metres in height. And as Charlie says, for maybe two months of the year, we'll run the stills lightly peated, and it's usually before the summer shut down. So that means that we can clean everything back and get on the unpeated run when we come back. And that's a mixture of 1st filled bourbon casks and those small quarter casks. And that's got a beautiful balance of sweetness and smoke. The Morgan. Um, it's a very nice whiskey for people that maybe don't like anything heavily peated, or they're they're trying to get into their peated whiskey. It's a very gentle introduction as well. A lot of again a, a lot of malty um, flavours, a lot of fruity um, flavours from the from the Morgan, in my opinion. And again, looking at it in the glass, it's very light. You know, chardonnay esque. It's it's quite opaque. You know, and just because it's not colorful it doesn't mean that it doesn't pack a bunch of flavor as well
2: so if you um, wanted to yeah. enhance the color on that you there there are things that you could do that, that that people do do to sort of artificially enhance the color because of some perception that it should be deeper in
0: in yeah. color you know and again it's a be of human psychology when you look at something if it's dark a dark color you immediately think well it must be full of flavor i don't know why it is, but yeah, that's where the E150 caramel coloring can be used by uh, some distilleries to give to give that sort of dark, richer color. Um, there are camps left and right that will say it will have an effect on flavor. It some people say it won't have an effect effect on flavor. Um, we don't do it, so we're not concerned about it. Um, so we're you know we know that it happens, but because we're not doing it for obvious reasons, we want everything to be natural. We want everything to be Traditional and handcrafted. Um, let's not waste any time
2: just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, fair play. I think,
3: I think as well if, like if you're if your spirits if your spirits that good then you don't really need to add anything
2: to it. Say that again. Why?
3: Why add? Why add something to it if it's if it's already good?
2: Yeah. True. Exactly. <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. um
0: You've got the landscape in front of you there Dan, i've got the landscape
2: well. i've got the landscape here as well um, See that
0: you know you jump from 46 percent to 58 percent now so that's our, our distillery strength good thing about the landscape you know when you look at the map thurzo sits on the 58th degree on a map so that's 58 degrees uh, abv so it's a wee nod <laughs> as well to, to where we are in the world but thurzo used to be a a Norse settlement. So the Vikings came over in their langskips, in their longships. So again, that's a wee nod to our heritage and our past. And if you think of that Viking longship smashing through the waves, for me that's the feeling that you get when you first drink Langskip. There's an intensity on the on the sort of the front of the mouth that it sort of splashes up like it, like the water at the front of the boat. Definitely. But there's a lovely lingering tail. There's a, a nice uh, lingering finish in the wake as the boat sort of drives through the water and because that's first filled bourbon casks only um, you're getting a lot more of the the bourbon influence, you know, you're getting a lot more of that sort of um, sort of butterscotch, you're getting a lot more of that sort of creamy caramel um, I get quite a lot of almond marzipan-esque type flavours from it, that nuttiness from it as well okay.
2: You know, you you mentioned that that uh, appley marzipan character on the on the landscape. Yeah, in the landscape. Hundred percent, yeah. And you know, I'm curious. You know, our, yeah, sorry, Mark.
0: Um, our ever new make spirit. So when you get it from like direct from the stills, it's it's for me. It's got quite a like a tropical fruit flavor, like banana esque. I sometimes I sometimes get like a like a tin of pineapple. you take the pineapples out and you drink the the pineapple juice? That's the sort of that's the sort of taste and flavour I get from our new make spirit. And as Charlie said, when your new make spirit is that good, and you know we, we could sell that we could sell that by the ship by the bottle load. <laughs> Pardon my French. Um, we could we could we could bottle that. But if we're if we're selling that way, making whiskey, and because we've only got 100 to 120,000 uh, litres a year. We're not going to be doing that, but uh, you'll be lucky sometimes when I travel. I usually have about 100 mil of new make spirit with me, and I usually keep it under the counter. So if you see me at any shows or that, Dan, come along and give us the wink, and I'll give you something special from under the counter. And it's the new make spirit, and it blows people away because even at you know 70% ABV, it's ultra smooth you know it's not it's not aggressive at all you know there isn't that rawness that a lot of new make spirit and a lot of distilleries won't give you new make spirit for that reason they need the wood management they need the the wood influence to actually flavour their new make spirit because it's just you know just ethanol is it ethanol? Yeah. Mm. It's, it's just alcohol and they're having to use the wood management policy to give it some flavour but we've got flavour there
2: originally so all we're doing with our wood management policy is just adding to it There's a lot of tropical notes in a lot of these whiskies that I've noticed um, sweeter uh, yeah more more tropical spectrum fruit uh, well in the in the fruit specifically um, yeah. is that is that something to do with the stills where is that coming from
0: Again, all parts of the process. Um, that sort of fruitiness with the long fermentation as well, you know, the um, even the choice of yeast. You know, we're using dry anchor yeast. Um, one of the reasons, you know, it's not going to freeze where we are and we don't have to refrigerate it. You know, we don't reconstitute it either. We just pitch it into the, the washbacks five kilograms a time. And I suppose it's, it's it's, you know, at the beginning it was... Let's, let's play about with the system. Let's look at the process. Let's tweak it. But once it, once it came online and once Shane and Ian um, were happy with the run, it's never changed because it's a, it's a winning formula.
2: Well, they're really delicious. There's one last one, the 375. Um...
0: Yeah, the 375 is um, not part of our core range. That came out, as I say, in 2019. Um, Years back, 2014, our cooperage got hold of about 100 small American Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels. They were about 100 litres in size, so half the size of a standard. And Woodford Reserve had been experimenting, so we decided to to release our small batch series. So 2017, our batch 128 came out. That was using the lightly peated spirit that goes into Morgan in roughly about 30 of these small American bourbon casks. That was followed the next year by the unpeated version, the 270. And the 375 that you have in front of you are the last barrels from Woodford Reserve that we had. And we've added some Oloroso sherry hulseheads to them as well. So that's the, the 375 is like the big brother or the big sister of the aurora in my opinion it's like the aurora it's, it's like yeah. the aurora on steroids yeah. it's got yeah. a lovely creaminess on the palate it's got um you know there's there's again those tropical fruits whether it's um you know succulent pears or rich sort of plums i get from that but the creaminess the 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 fat feel on the tongue for me for the 375 it's absolutely luscious and again, at 46%, you know, it's a, there's, there's a fair bite for your buck as well. Um, and there was a limited release of, you should say on the front of the bottle, but from memory, maybe 5,500 bottles of the 375. So once it's done, it's gone. And that's what we tend to do with our small batch series. We tend not to release any more than maybe 6,000 bottles worldwide. So it puts a, a wee bit of exclusivity on it, which, which helps... Uh, it's help sales ultimately because ultimately. it's uh, yeah we have to we have to think of the marketing strategy as well because ultimately we want to make whiskey that people like but we want we want to make whiskey that people will buy and come back to us. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's all good.
2: I've got a couple of uh QA questions that I generally like to end the interview with and I'd like uh, all three of you to answer separately. Um are you ready? Yeah. Fire on. All right. Ines, what do you least love about whiskey?
1: What do I least love
2: about whiskey? The burn. The burn of leaves in your
3: throat. <laughs> the burn. I like it. Charlie? Eh. Uh, I I think I I don't really like peated whiskey. Uh, So if it's a peated whiskey,
2: it's
0: normally normally the peat in it.
2: Mm -hmm. Not a fan. Okay. Mark, what do you least love about whiskey? Uh,
0: The price point on the continent is cheaper to buy than it is in the UK. That absolutely sticks in my crow because of the, the duty and the VAT and everything. It's cheaper to buy it after you export it. Than it is from the distillery, and that's that's crazy. That makes really no is. sense. You're right. It's you know, and that's 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 what I don't like. But, um, I I'm one of these I'm one of these guys that I'll I'll try anything, and unless I try it, I'm not going to have an opinion on it. So you know, if somebody puts a glass of whiskey in my hand, I'm not going to be rude. To them. I'm going to try it and tell them my honest opinion. So, but yeah, the things that I don't like is the. The dreaded duty and the dreaded VAT that we've got to pay. But uh it's uh, the government has to get the money somehow.
2: Mark, what do you most love about whiskey?
0: Um I I think it's all about the community, about friendship and about sharing the drama with people. It's about meeting people with a bottle in your hand. It's about being able to explain a story. Um it's, it's about making friends. It's about, you know, it's just everybody, you know, when you, when you go to events, especially if you've got a bottle of whiskey and you, you, you pull the cork out, then that sound is iconic again, that popping of that cork. That, it's like lemmings, like sort of meerkats it is. The wee, the wee looks, the wee people that sort of look up when they hear that, that cork go. And you can make friends for life uh, over a dram. Um, but you've got to be adventurous in life you know you don't sit back you have, to, you have to actually put some effort and even our distillery you know if you come into our distillery you look top, top right as you come in we've got a big sign saying fortune favours the brave and that's the work ethic that we have at Wolfburn if you don't put an effort in you're not going to get the rewards so yeah it's about friendship the community and about you know Getting your finger out and actually trying to do something for
2: the better for the company as well. Nice one. Charlie, what do you most love about whiskey?
3: Yeah, no, I I just I, I agree with Mark. I think it's all about sitting, sitting down and sharing, sharing the whisky with friends and friends and family. And I think it, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. I think that's... also as well when when you're doing tastings for tourists and stuff like that, it's seeing the enjoyment on their faces when they're actually drinking it and you're bringing you're making a product that's bringing other people generally. So,
2: yeah that does. is cool Ennis what about you mate it's same and same too They,
1: they've touched on it pretty well so
2: <laughs> fine what's uh, what's one word to describe what you each do
1: one word
0: did you see Ennis
2: I'm just trying to hang on one
0: word. Uh, oh, one word. For me, yeah. it's passion.
2: Passion, Mark. Yep.
0: Passion. Yeah. You've got to have passion about what you do. Yeah. You know, whether it's having knowledge, having confidence, but yeah, you have to have passion for your work because that shines through. Um, and that's very, very important for me. And as I said earlier on, as a local lad done good, born and bred in Thursday, we sent across the world to get our brand out there. I am hugely passionate. and um, I'm privileged and humbled uh, to do it, but I come back and I speak to the guys at the stills because ultimately they're the you know they're the distillers. They're the ones that are producing the spirit, so the accolade has to go to them. And an opportunity, as I say, to do these podcasts and interviews across the world over the last year. It's bringing our name, Wolfburn, to a, a whole different audience as well. Hence the the increase in Brand awareness and sales, which can only be a good thing for us, it drives the business,
2: and the business is very strong. You bet, Charlie. Have you thought of a word?
3: Yeah, uh, probably uniqueness. Uh, like no, no one else our age has a has a job like this. Right. I, just, I I love coming out to work every day. Uh, it's just, it's nice seeing the stories. Like I started in two thousand and sixteen, and we've we've put up. Uh, a warehouse and we're putting up two more warehouses uh, just now and a visitor center is going in soon as well so it just is it's just really cool to see
1: how far the, the company's come and yeah long that continue.
2: That is cool. Ennis talk to me one word. I would say joy. Joy. I
1: working
2: yeah, right on. Now I'm not sure how this is gonna work but um Perhaps I might throw it over to you, Mark. Think of a favorite album or a piece of music. What is it and what do you most love about it?
0: Uh, ACDC, Back in Black. Oof. It's, again, iconic album. I grew up with two older brothers. We were listening to ACDC in late 70s or early 70s to late 70s. That was just a nipper. Um, but that, you know, it's even my, my, my phone ringtone as well. Um, and that, although it's a great piece of music, um, you know, tragically after Bon Scott died, it's it's the sort of mourning album of ACDC. <laughs> That brings me back to my childhood days in Thurzo with my brothers, just giving it a head headbanging, headbanging in, the, in the living room with the old uh, with the old uh, LP as it was then, um, I'm sure my age,
2: but yeah, back and black, ACDC for me. I love it, that's awesome. Uh, Alright, everybody can answer this one, Batman, Superman or Spider-Man? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't
1: know.
0: Oh God! Mm-hmm. Having just watched that uh, four-hour epic, the
2: Justice League, I would say Batman. Batman. Okay, we've got <laughs> a Spider-Man, a Batman, and I definitely
3: have to go Spider-Man.
2: Spider-Man. Yeah, I two mean, two Spider-Mans, <laughs> one Batman. Love it. If we were hey, what ever would you, go for, man? you, what? What would you go for? Mm. I think Spider-Man, let's to be happen. fair. I just like the the fun. But I also like how Batman's um, got that dark edge, you know? Yeah. yeah. If we were ever in a position to recreate the T-Rex, should we do it? Well,
0: Yeah, yeah I think we should. It's like trying to really just wolves to Scotland. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, let's try it
2: bring back the sea wolf the mythical beast
0: yeah <laughs> you know, it's uh it's an, again another piece of marketing genius we wanted something that would relate to the sea where we are in thurzo and the wolf burn where we draw water from so the sea wolf um, for us white on black it's it's uh, an
1: iconic motif for
0: wolf burn it brings people in
2: charlie Innes, are we bringing back the t-rex or leave, leaving it in the ground
1: I would say bring back the
3: rides. Yeah. yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> get another Jurassic. Get a real life Jurassic Park. I
2: was, I was going to say you guys are, are, are too young for um the first one at least the best one.
0: Oh yeah. I'll,
2: I'll, yeah. They've
0: probably done the rides in Florida. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah no <laughs> Very good. Well, I think, I think I think they've actually got. a... I think they've redone all the rides in Florida. I think there's brand new Jurassic Rides and Universal studios before. We've seen
0: that on
3: their Facebook page uh,
2: yeah, I saw that there late right, as well. So yeah. Yeah, I'd be keen to get in one of those um those balls in the in the in the reboot movie and bomb around the park, checking out the uh, the herbivores. Where can uh, where can people find out more about Wolfburn?
0: Uh, great website, Wolfburn.com. Um, stick Wolfburn in the search in the search engine as well. Um, it'll bring up what we've got, what's available. It'll show past expressions that we've done. Um, YouTube. There's some cracking reviews from a lot of people. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things when people want to have a look at Wolfburn and they, and they want to do that deep dive. There's a wealth of information, and we're not. We're not shy about putting our information on our website either. It's it's all about being transparent in our process, and it keeps our integrity very very high because we we've got nothing to hide. It's not a smoking mirrors.
2: Nice one. Do you have an Instagram page or something?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we've got Facebook, Wolfburn. Um, yeah, all all the all the social media channels. Um, you'll you'll get Wolfburn, um, and you know it's uh it's one of these things it's just getting the right content to the right people to prick their interest for them to come to the brand and then try our spirit this as i said it's all about
2: getting the liquid isn't it? lads this has been an awesome conversation um like i said total beginner's mind when it comes to this sort of stuff so i appreciate you uh taking the time to Step me through and trying to uh, make sense of what was going on in my head with regards to um, whiskey and how it relates to the other things that I'm interested in and discussing with people. And, uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Charlie Innes, this has been your first interview, I think. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Well, well done. You, one, you, you nailed it. And, Mark, yeah. you, uh, you held it all together with great aplomb.
0: Brilliant. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Um, you're getting the message out there to a lot of people and the content is excellent online. So yeah,
2: enjoy. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you.
0: If you're ever up
3: if you you must make sure it pop in as well, and we'll give you a go.
2: I intend to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Message received. Thanks boys. Thank you very no, much. <laughs> Okay, episode 21, what do you think? If you did enjoy it, let me know. Leave a comment if you're using Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Otherwise, you can tweet me on Twitter or tag me on Instagram at fermenting place. Or simply say hello via email and give a guest suggestion while you're at it. Hello at fermentingplace.com. If you do dig what you hear, please consider supporting the Fermenting Place podcast. Exchange a little value for value. You can support the Fermenting Place podcast and help to ensure its long term sustainability by becoming a Patreon subscriber over at patreon.com forward slash honan Daniel. From just five bones a month, you can be like other Patreons who help me to make high quality episodes like this. If you're not down with supporting the show over the long term, that's cool, but perhaps you'd consider making a one off donation via PayPal or Bitcoin. It's quick and easy to do and really helps me to continue to produce future episodes featuring some of the best in the game. Every little helps. At the very least, please do me a solid and share this episode with at least one person. Send it to your mum, your brother, your best mate. Hell, send it to your enemy like I always say and then, of course, make peace with them. Click that subscribe, follow button and like, share or leave a comment so that more and more people can grow their know about how fermentative beverages like whiskey and other drinks are inextricably influenced by and emergent from the unique environmental and cultural circumstances of a particular place. It is an immense help if you do. Log on to fermentingplace.com for more info on ways you can show your support for the show and enable even Ensure the sustainable production of quality, ground-up, listener-led content such as the Fermenting Place podcast. Okay, that's enough from me for now. Thank you for listening. Be well, forever seek to eat, drink and be merry. Explore the wonderful world of whiskey and I'll speak with you next time on the Fermenting Place podcast.